On this week's episode of Isolated, but not alone, we're going to continue talking about strategic theory. And we talked last week about the Mental Research Institute, which kind of tried to quantify human behavior, all human behavior, and clearly they failed. But we talked about how that helped advance our understanding of communication. We talked briefly about double binds and how that was believed to be one of the reasons or causes for schizophrenia. And today we're going to move into the next branch, which is called Jay Haley's Strategic. And this theory is really interesting because it focuses on manipulation. This theory is manipulation of manipulation. And so we're going to talk today about what exactly it means to manipulate manipulation and how this therapy utilized that mentality to do therapy. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. All right, welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. On our podcast today, we're going to be diving again into strategic theory, and I've always found this strategic theory to be very, very interesting. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in school and my master's program listening to a professor discuss therapy and the various theories of family therapy. And I remember that she said that any theory that begins with an S is probably okay. (laughs) So I've never, I've never forgotten that. And at the time, I know specifically they were referring to structural and strategic And so we're going to dive into that some more today. And the theory that we're going to talk about is Jay Haley's strategic theory. And it's interesting because it talks a lot about manipulation. In fact, the therapy sees itself as manipulating manipulation. And that is just an interesting topic. And they use paradoxes in order to do this. And so we're going to talk a lot about that today. And I'm going to try the best way that I can to describe paradoxes and counter paradoxes because there's challenge there. There's a lot of information, as we discussed in the previous podcast, on strategic theory. It's one of the theories that was highly defined, and therefore there's a lot of information that is available and a lot of things to discuss. And so I'm sitting in my office. It's a nice, balmy 10 degrees outside here in Minnesota. I just want to thank all my listeners out there. There's lots of folks from overseas who are listening. There's somebody from Germany who listens to every single podcast. And I don't even know how to pronounce the name of your city, but I appreciate that you tune in to every single podcast. I hope you're gaining something from the things that we talk about. And so moving forward, Jay Haley. Jay Haley is an interesting person. I'll never forget watching a video of him in my program. 
and he was describing food. Now, it was one of those times where I had left the room momentarily for some reason or not, and I had come back in and the video had already started, so I kind of missed the introduction of what was going on. And so this man was kind of talking about food. And in this discussion, he was asking, how often does the couple go out to eat? Do they go out to eat regularly? And I might be misunderstanding this a little bit because it's been a long time since I've seen this video and I couldn't find it uh, as I was preparing for this podcast. But he's talking about food and how often they go out to eat or how often do they eat out? How often does the wife prepare the meal? How often does the husband prepare the meal? And really, he's talking about sex, right? <laughs> and he's talking about it in a metaphorical way so that the couple can talk about something that they're maybe not comfortable talking about. And that just kind of gives you a taste, no pun intended, of how this therapy did things, right? how it presented itself. So to focus back in on Jay Haley, he had a background in communications and art rather than psychiatry or psychology or any type of therapy. And he added a lot of that into how he did therapy. He ended up marrying a woman by the name of Chloe Madonna's, and they kind of started their own family therapy institute uh, in D.C. Kind of what they saw is that manipulation was inevitable. It's everywhere. Everybody's manipulating somebody at some point in time. And they designed a therapy that they felt manipulated manipulations. And again, this version of strategic therapy had some of the similar overarching themes as strategic theories in general, with one of them being communication is very, very important. They were famous for prescribing the symptom as the symptom reducer. And I have always found this to be a really unique intervention. They would basically say, keep doing what you're doing that you see as the problem and do it more. <laughs> and I, you know, I can only imagine sitting in one of these therapy sessions going, what? <laughs> like the minion from the, you know, the, the cartoon show. <laughs> what? But that's what this therapy is famous for, is prescribing the symptom to help reduce symptoms. And kind of what they saw was, is that if they prescribed the symptom, it created a paradox, at least in the, uh, the mind and the perception of the client. And this paradox then kind of forced them to do something. And a paradox is simply where there appears to be two truths that cannot exist at the same time that are both operating at the same time. And it was really interesting because I've always heard it like this, is that clients kind of form maps of their lives. And I've heard it illustrated in other ways, but basically is they have a set pattern of rules and roles and hierarchies. And once they get stuck in that, it's hard for them to see outside of that. And if reality doesn't fit into the roadmap, it's almost like they gloss over it, right? Or they fit it into their map. And what's interesting is because every problem has like an implied solution. But in the end, I've always heard something I really like it, is that friends, you can't get there from here, right? So their map prevents them from solving the problem. Right? Their view, their conceptual framework prevents them from solving the problem. So the therapist's job then is to basically help them develop a new map or give them a different problem. And that's kind of the interesting part there. And how they saw it is they saw as resistance is overcome 
by good strategy, hence strategic therapy. They also believe that if the therapist didn't do that well, then it was the therapist's fault and it wasn't the family's. And they often use these paradoxes, like prescribing the symptom. Keep doing it more. Because if you keep doing it more, right, one of two things will happen. Either you'll resist doing it at all, or you'll come to the belief that you have control over the problem. And it will rob that problem of its strength, of its ability to feel out of control. So you're probably sitting here listening, you're like, James, you weren't joking. <laughs> this is complex stuff. This is good stuff, and it's hyper-complex. And we haven't even really dived into the complexities. We're just trying to do an overview. So in the end, the goal of therapy is to accept the problem as the family presents it, and yet realize that the family's understanding of the problem comes from their conceptual framework, it comes from their map, and it's most likely distorted. Because if not, they would have already dealt with it, right? They come to you because they're stuck. If it wasn't an issue of their roadmap and their perception and how they see the world, they probably already would have dealt with the problem. They didn't need to come see you. But they have come to see you, which means they're stuck. So that's the first part. The second part is to identify behavioral patterns and perceptions that have maintained the problem. So when we have problems, oftentimes our best efforts actually maintain that problem. That's why we get stuck. And so the goal of the therapist is to do that to look for these patterns, to look for these perceptions, and then change them without the family knowing. At the same time, trying to appear to be working on whatever presenting problem that the clients have. So there's manipulation here. (laughs) If you haven't gathered that, there's manipulation here, right? The therapist is hiding their intentions. They're hiding their interventions. They're using paradoxes. They are accepting your problem, but also seeing it as your view of it's incorrect. And they're looking for ways that you maintain that problem and trying to change them without you knowing about it, while at the same time putting on the deceptive appearance that they're actually trying to solve the problem as you see it. And I've experienced this myself. And a lot of times when we talk about these therapies, I don't know a lot of people who are purely strategic therapists. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying I don't know them. And my view is minimal, not broad. Because you just don't hear about purists anymore. But I do know that a lot of folks have informed the way they do therapy based on information from Jay Haley's strategic theory. And so I've seen this in session myself, where people have come in and they have a presenting problem. This is the problem, whatever the problem they say is. And at the same time, it's very evident to me that that is not actually what the problem is, though it may be a problem. And the family is not ready to address the actual problem. And so at one point, I am addressing the problem that they see as the presenting problem. But on a deeper level, I'm trying to address this problem that they may or may not be ready to address or see. And this happens a lot, at least in my personal experience, and working with children and adolescents. Because oftentimes somebody is brought in, they are the problem. Please fix them so that the family can be alleviated from them. They are only reacting or a symptom of the actual systemic problem within the family. 
and I'm using air quotes, but it's hard to see on podcasts. I'm using air quotes. You can fix them, which I love the word fix, and I hear it quite fix. Okay, that's why I'm doing lots of air quotes over here. Fix them, and the systemic problem is not going to change, so the problem is really still going to be there. Somebody else will start to take on the role of symptom or symptom bearer. They will become the problem. Somebody will start acting out. And some of that comes from experiential therapy. So I just kind of want to own that because that also informs how I think. But I've seen that. And I've seen that sometimes when you try to address that problem too early on in the therapy session or right off the bat, or it oftentimes is met with so much resistance that it feels insurmountable. And so it, it makes sense to me sometimes why this therapy chooses to manipulate in the way that it does. Because really it's trying to manipulate manipulation that the client is doing through resistance. And that's why a lot of their interventions seek to overcome resistance in unique ways. So for example, Jay Havey would often use directives. He would give every member in the family parts of an assignment. He would keep the family activated around the therapist between sessions. And would often give feedback regarding this conceptual framework. And sometimes give reports on their assessments or their assignments. Some of the directives that they were used were paradoxical. Some are double binds where the therapist is right whether the family follows or resists the directive. Some reverse psychology is used. And we all know reverse psychology, right? Go ahead and do that. Right? You know, that's like, I feel like I use reverse psychology with my children all the time. They're, they're three and five. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead. Go ahead. You want to, you want to spill that on the ground to, you know, go ahead and spill it on the ground. Well, then they, they don't spill on the ground, right? Because it, you know, it doesn't have the effect that it was going to have anymore, which was somehow to create an emotional reaction to somehow be in control. There's also a metaphorical tasks, uh, which symbolizes the change the families need to make indirectly. And then some unhealthy symptoms are prescribed in order to bring out patterns in the family. And I also like that some directives are designed to promote rebellion and therefore a disregard for the family roadmap. And so this, this, is, this is awesome. This is, um, I know I've laughed and giggled and, and a lot during this. And so if you're, a, if you're like fully on board with Jay Haley and you're, you're sitting here going, man, this guy seems like he's really cut it down. I'm not at all. I, I have a lot of respect for this therapy. And, and uh, I just know that I have seen these things in therapy. I know that I have utilized some of these. And I also have seen some of them backfire because I am not a purist. I'm not a traditional strategic therapist. And so they would probably be able to do it and not have necessarily the backfire. Or if they did, they'd be able to utilize that as resistance and then help to change the family roadmap. But one of the things that I really enjoy is directives designed to promote rebellion. And what you're doing is, is that you're purposefully creating a coalition in a way or a group against the therapist directive. And what you're doing in a sense is shaking up the family system. And I've seen this done in multiple different ways, but that's one way I've seen it done is to get cause rebellion, but not necessarily against the family members, but the family members against the therapist. Also to promote rebellion in a sense to in rebellion in one person in order to shake up the family system, to change or to confront or to show that I understand how the family operates and I want you to do something different. I'm going to disrupt and disregard your way of doing things, which in a sense is a form of manipulation using therapist power and directives. 
So again, the key word today is manipulation. And this therapy is key on manipulating manipulation. Another thing they hold to is that if the therapist talks too much and does not hide intentions, does not hide interventions, is that the family will then resist or inform their resistance. So another thing that they do is called ordeal therapy, uh, which uses positive or good directives that are aligned with the unwanted system, but are so difficult to accomplish, the client is forced to give up the ordeal and the symptom because it's just too hard to maintain. That's another interesting thing. We can spend a lot of time going on examples of what exactly does that look like. They basically tell you to continue the unwanted symptoms, but they add things to it, kind of like add weight to it, to the point where it becomes so heavy and so difficult to accomplish that the client gives up or the family gives up even trying to accomplish it. So again, manipulation. And again, these paradoxes are tricky because they design so that the family has to choose. They have to make a choice. And how this is different from how I do therapy is I'm a big fan of the ampersand, which is an understanding that there can be multiple paradoxes in our life and be okay with that. Understanding and and both. This can be true and this can be true, or both can be true simultaneously, even though they seem conflictual. And that's kind of what's different in this is because they, instead of educating on that, they use it to leverage and to manipulate. They also sometimes exaggerate the family map to the point of extreme despair, which then influences the client to hope for a good outcome and work towards that outcome. And you might be listening to this and you can understand why this is challenging, why this is complex, why there's a lot of need for study and for experience under the guidance of somebody else who is trained in this. Because some of these interventions are extremely tricky. They utilize something very unpleasant to fight something very unpleasant. It's kind of like fighting fire with fire. If you're not careful, everybody's going to get burned. And so it's challenging. It's complex. It can cause despair. It can disrupt the family map all through manipulation. And so we're going to stop there for today. Next week, we're going to pick up with uh, Jay Haley's wife and kind of her view and her way of doing therapy, which is under the umbrella of Jay Haley's strategic, but it has its own focus. So thanks for listening. And remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health. And we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated and maybe you are, but you're not alone.